You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick. So sports may be hard to come by at the moment. Nothing's permanent. I'm not saying it's permanent. But the Dan Patrick Show is impossible to miss. From our podcast to YouTube to the iHeartRadio app. Listen any way you want, anytime, anywhere. <coughs> Get away from me. Probably at your house. I'm just going to make some assumptions. Welcome to the Dan Patrick Show. Truly amazing. Just a week away from the NFL draft. Extremely confident. Nobody brings you bigger guests or better experts. Dan Orlovsky, football analyst, former NFL quarterback. Think of all the quarterbacks that we've talked about in the draft in the last 15, 20 years that when the first two or three things out of people's mouth are he's big, he's strong. More often than not, those cats have failed because that stuff doesn't matter. It should be the other way, the mental. And so that's what concerns me about Justin Herbert. It's like no one's going, man, he's got great instincts. Or gosh, his accuracy is ridiculous. Or he's just got this ability to make all these different kinds of throws. Those are all the things that people talk about or like that I talk about that he struggles with. Broadcasting from the Mercedes Man Cave and the Danettes Homes, this is Dan Patrick. Hour two on this Friday, a Traeger Meat Friday. We're serving up French dip on the Traeger Grill. Also, Meat Friday, the Meat Madness, the Final Fork, the Hebrew National Championship will be decided today. Got about an hour and a half before we crown our champion, and our champion will receive a Traeger Grill. Paulie and I in the Man Cave, uh, Fritzy, McLovin, and Seton at their respective homes. And wherever you are, glad you're part of the program. If you'd like to uh, watch, you can on YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. And you can listen on our great radio affiliates around the country, numbering 362. College sports is changing rapidly. The decision to allow players to market their own image, that was a big step forward. Remember that? That seems like that was a long time ago. But a new development has arisen that uh, could have bigger implications for college basketball. Jalen Green is the number one recruit in the country. Instead of announcing where he was going to go to college, he announced that he's going to join the NBA's G League. High school players are going overseas. The NBA Developmental League is willing to pay real money here. He can make 500000 He could also get a shoe deal here. And he was projected to be the number one pick in the 2021 draft. And at some point soon, players will be able to jump from high school to the NBA. But for now, Green's path could become a popular one. And look, college basketball will survive. You just won't have those top-end top-tier marquee stars in there for one year. You know, Zion Williamson, let's say, if he came along in a couple of years, would go right out of high school to the pros. You're still going to have good college basketball players. You may not have the superstars. Zion could be the last of a long line of great players who came in and were one and done. R.J. Hampton and uh, LaMelo Ball, they went over to Australia. And, uh, you know, Ball could be, he'll be a top five pick. There are options there. I still don't understand why, in, you know, Adidas, uh, the, all, the, all the shoe companies, Nike, I would just have an academy. And, I, you know, let's just cut out the nonsense. Let's, you know, full transparency and just say, hey, just come in. We're going to develop you as a basketball player and as a person. You know, you're going to understand a checkbook. You're going to understand real estate. You're going to understand investments. You're going to understand 
you know, a variety of things that will help you go from high school or one year in the G League or an academy to the NBA. Because the biggest knock you'll find, NBA coaches and GMs will say, we're taking 18-year-olds and they're just not mature. So you're babysitting. Not everybody is KG. Not everybody's Kobe. You know, not everybody's LeBron. And, and that concerns them is you have these players. Remember Jermaine O'Neal? He was an 18-year-old drafted by the Blazers, and he sat for a couple of years. Then by the time he's ready to really provide, you know, pay off, he's a pacer. You babysat him for three years, then all of a sudden the pacers get him, and he becomes an all-star. That's a big concern for these teams. I may, may get you from 18 to 21 or 22, and then I lose you when you start to become a man here. I also wonder about this, you know, this uh, Bulls documentary. We'll talk to the director of the uh, Last Dance coming up a little bit. Michael Jordan today in high school would, would not be a surprise. Michael Jordan would be known. Michael Jordan wasn't, Michael Jordan was Mike Jordan until he hit the jumper to win the national championship. That's when he became Michael Jordan. There was always, Roy Williams always talked about seeing Jordan and saying, I just saw the best player I've ever seen. And, you know, Roy's probably in the minority, but Roy saw him and recruited him to North Carolina. But Michael wouldn't be a, a secret here. We would know about him, just like Zion Williamson. He would be a YouTube sensation there. And it would be a little bit different. Because when you watch, you know, and I watched those games, obviously, with North Carolina, they had a Sam Perkins and James Worthy were first-round draft picks. I mean, they had a star-studded team. And... Michael always had that wow moment. I always thought Worthy was a better player. At least one year, I thought James was a better player than Mike. And then you could see where Mike got confidence. And then I think he realized if he was better than the players at North Carolina, he was going to be better than anybody else he was going to face. And the confidence level where he became Michael Jordan from where he was as Mike Jordan, completely different. But this documentary, I hope it lives up to, like, I'm worried that I, that I might not like it. And it's, and it's weird because I said, Hey, you got to put it out in April. My expectations are pretty high with it, but I don't know if I get anything new. It might reinforce things. I know a lot. I probably know more than I should know about the bulls of that era on and off the court. But there was a fascination I had. And I remember Mark Jones was working for ESPN. He was a play-by-play guy. He was hosting on-site NBA Finals, Blazers, Bulls. And I saw him interviewing Michael Jordan after a couple of those games. And I went to management and I said, I am going to do that next year. Because for some reason... And yeah, you could probably say I bigfooted Mark Jones, but I didn't care. I thought I'm I'm witnessing history. I want to be part of history. I don't want to do the highlights. I want to be on site doing the interviews with Michael Jordan. Now, I got to do it after that. Uh, even when uh, the Rockets won the NBA titles, I was there to do that as well. And then when Michael came back, I was still able to do those interviews post game with Michael. And Michael always said the same thing. I won't do it after every win, but I'll do it after every championship. <laughs> By the way, Mike never played in a game seven in the NBA finals. 
couple of game sixes. Never got to a game seven. But we'll talk to uh, the director of the documentary. His name is Jason Hare. And uh, he did the Chicago Bears documentary and also the Fab Five. So we'll talk to him. Jay Monahan, the PGA commissioner, will join us coming up next hour. We're going to have golf coming back. And it feels aggressive. Uh, you're going to have golf maybe at the beginning of June. So we'll talk to uh, the commissioner of the PGA about that, what it went into picking the Colonial for your return. Poll question, McLovin, what do you have for me? I just want to say first, Mark Jones won out. He got to do horse on ESPN. Yes, he did. I saw weeks. Jonesy. By the way, Jonesy, good handle. I think he tried out for the Canadian Olympic team. Good handle. Uh, good, good player. Yeah, Paul. Did you see Mike Conley won, by the way? And he's ambidextrous, so he kept switching hands on everybody to, to win the horse competition? That's not fair. That's a, yes, Paul. Best players in Sports Center history Mark Jones, you, Kilborn. Kilborn was underrated. Kilborn had. Now Swingman? I, I have range. Kilby had deep, deep range. He went to Montana State and he played there and tougher than you'd think. Craig Kilborn had game. He really did. Uh, who else? So is Steph Curry sort of the Craig Kilborn of the NBA? Because, mm. mm. <laughs> you know, he had range. He's going deep. And Kilby had range before Steph Curry, I'm just saying. But Kilby also saying. retired unexpectedly. Well, he went to Comedy Central. Yeah, but he hasn't done a lot lately. He's very funny on his social media. but Yeah. Kilby could play, he, and he loved to play. When I'd go to Los Angeles, we'd go out to a playground. He always wanted to play. Always. Good shooter. Who else was there? Um, I don't think I played with Scott Van Pelt. John Butchergross had game. Butchie could play. Uh, Stuart Scott could not play. Chris McKendry? I don't think she could play. Oh. Uh, Robin Roberts could play. Robin Roberts had game. But yeah, you know, we, uh, we had some decent games there. But I'd always say, it'd be a new wave of Sports Center anchors coming in, and I'm on the old man on the block. And they go, come on, we're going to go out. We're going to go to the, the Canton YMCA. And I go, no, no, been down this road. Somebody's going to want to D me up full court and the whole. No, no, no. We're, we just want to get a sweat here. And I'll be damned. I go out there and I remember Stuart Scott showed up and had everything Nike. He had goggles. He had sweatbands. He had Air Jordan jersey. Um, remember uh, Spike Lee, uh, Mars Blackman? <laughs> that was Stuart. He, he dressed and swagged he, out. Oh my goodness! He he thought for some reason if he wore Air Jordan he could be Air Jordan, and Stewart picked me up full court. As soon as I we start the game and he's picking me up full court, and I look over to Jason Jackson who is the sideline reporter for the Miami Heat, and he's on my team. I said, "Are you kidding me?" Because I said, "Look, let's if we can just run up and down, I can shoot, not play any defense, then great, I'm good." Stewart's out there dinging me up forearm. Like, you've got forearm on my uh, my hip, and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. And he wasn't. He was going to try to D me up. And, of course, I start to act like a jerk, as I've been known to on a basketball floor. And it got to the point where, like, he was boxing me out. Like, it was, he was <laughs> trying to put on a, a, a tutorial, like a clinic. And... Uh, it got to the point where I'm dribbling down, I'm dribbling left-handed. I thought about this last night for some reason. 
Maybe it was because, you know, Michael and, and Stuart were uh, buddies, uh, you know, in this whole documentary coming out, and that Stuart would have been great in the documentary with that, with Michael. I'm dribbling left-handed. I'm coming down the floor. I'm on the right side at the Canton YMCA. And that's a hotbed. Yes, it is. That's where the great ones go. It's like the cage in New York City, like Rucker Park. And I said, where do you want me to score on you? I was so angry. Jaw face? Oh, my God. I said, where do you want me to score on you? And to his credit, he didn't say anything because that would have made it even worse. But I, I just said, where do you want me to score on you? Stuart was a competitive dude. We were not a good combination. We were not. We, we competed when we did SportsCenter. Like, we, we, weren't, we weren't good together. If you can have oil and oil, that's who we were. But I had great respect for, you know, what he did in preparing for SportsCenter and, of course, what he went through. But, uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't get along. And the fact that he was D'ing me up. And I still kid Jason Jackson. All I have to say is, where do you want me to score on you? And he just starts laughing because he knows that's in reference to Booyah guarding me. Oh, man. All righty. Welcome to the program. Already in progress. Uh, poll update there, McLevin. Okay. First hour was, what was the best team from 1980 to 2000? You're right, Bulls, but people didn't really seem to care that much about that debate. So I wanted to ask the G League question. If you were an 18-year-old star high school player would you go to the g league for five hundred thousand overseas for even more money or would you go to college well i think you have to factor in the families of these players because to be fair now would would my family allow me to do that and the answer is no but if i'm growing up and i you know i i'm not from a two-parent home or you know we don't have a lot of money then yeah i would say go get it go get it but these players these kids end up supporting not just themselves or their immediate family, they support a lot of people. And if, you know, I can make 500000 I can get a shoe deal, and, and I miss out on the college experience, they don't care about the college experience. That's a means to an end. I mean, Zion was talking about staying another year. He enjoyed the experience around Coach K. Tua Tonga-Vailoa did not want to go pro. His dad is the one who said, no, you're going pro. He wanted to stay another year at Alabama. There are certain players that enjoy the experience, big-name players. But if I'm one of these kids and we need the money, absolutely. I mean, it's nice to have 31 nationally televised games like Zion did. But it's, an, it's even nicer if I, I can get a half million. Maybe I get a shoe deal that adds another million to that, and I'm going to be in an academy or in a G League or whatever it is. You know, I, I don't fault those kids if that's what they want to do because college isn't for everybody. But we're forcing you to go to college because we want to continue March Madness and the college experience. We don't want to lose that. But I still, if the kids don't want to go to college, I don't want to force them to go to college. I don't know if Zion would have gone right to the pros. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he'd say, look, I'm going to benefit from a year with Coach K. But how many of those coaches are there who you are really going to benefit from with six months? And that's all it is. Six months, seven months, and then you're done. Yeah, Paul. There's some colleges where you could have the entire experience. You could have the college experience, and they'll pay you a couple hundred thousand dollars to be there for seven <laughs> months. You could have everything. No now, that's, that would be for me. Yes. I still love the fact that the basketball team that I was on, or allegedly on, 
I remember one of the players got paid. He got a used car. He, like, we weren't good enough at Eastern Kentucky to get cars. Hypothetically, he got a used car. <laughs> oh, God. All righty, 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. What else do I have here? Oh, Leonard Fournette. He's a good teammate. <laughs> Leonard Fournette is on record as saying he wants Cam Newton to come to Jacksonville. He, he, he wants to have some uh, friendly competition, I guess, with uh, Gardner Minshew and Cam Newton. Now, I thought if you bring in Cam, Cam, Cam can't be a backup quarterback. I don't think that he would prepare for a game the way a backup quarterback has to prepare. You have to be selfless. Cam's used to, he wears number one. He's not going to wear number two when he's on the sidelines here. He's about being a starter. And I hope he gets a chance to be a starter. If you're going to, I think you do one year with Gardner Minshew. And, and maybe you're playing for that number one overall pick. Without announcing you're playing for the number one overall pick or tanking for the number one overall pick, that's what I would be doing if I'm Jacksonville. Cam might help me win some games. I don't want to win games if I'm Jacksonville. Yeah, Paul. I was looking at the draft order. Jacksonville's nine and, and the Vegas uh, Raiders are 11, 12, and they got a couple draft picks. Could you see a Jacksonville team who's not set at quarterback? They got rid of their old one. If somebody slips, and you know what we're talking about, and they're in the nine spot, you could jump up two spots, no, one spot. No, I don't want to do that this year. Jackson, if I could get Tua, let's say, let's say somehow the Miami, Dolph- Tua. the Miami Dolphins and the LA Chargers for some reason because of health scares, you know, Tua's not going past the Carolina Panthers. I know they have Teddy Bridgewater, but he's not getting past them. I I would I would take Tua if if he's there for me, and I'm Jacksonville, I roll the dice on it. Absolutely. But I don't know how many teams are are willing to do that. If I'm Jacksonville, and I don't think we're going to be that good this year, then I keep Gardner Minshew there, and I sort of hope that we're kind of bad, and then we can get Trevor Lawrence. You have to have the rookie contract at that position. That's the formula. You have that, and then you build. Because once these guys get paid, those teams... You know, you start to disassemble them because you can't afford everybody. But uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, not all in on Gardner Minshew, or he must really love Cam Newton because he's like, yeah, bring him in, have a friendly competition. Imagine if Gardner Minshew said, you know, I'd like to have a better running back who can actually catch more passes out of the backfield here. Yeah, Seton. That's why it's always so funny when there's like, yeah, we should bring in this other guy, quarterback. No disrespect to <laughs> Gardner. I mean, it's just about friendly competition. Yeah. May the best man win. Yeah, but but if Gardner Minshew says, boy, why did we waste a high draft pick on Leonard Fournette, you know? Wouldn't it be great to have a couple of wide receivers or a good lineman or something like that? You know, maybe we should uh, try to get another running back in the second round. Maybe we get that Georgia running back there. How would that go over with Leonard Fournette? Probably not well. I think if Leonard was a little better, then maybe he could say this. But it, that's sort of – those comments caught me a little off, off guard there. And he's, I think he's brought this up a couple times about Cam Newton. I, you know, Cam's a big mystery as well. Cam's just a grown-up version of Tua from the standpoint of we can't get in front of him. We, don't, we just don't know. And you're starting to see – I like when I saw this yesterday. I had to laugh. I laughed out loud when I saw this. It was, uh, it might have been Ian Rappaport here. 
the rap sheet. Had a GM tell me the media is wronger about mock drafts this year than you guys have ever been. Point being, players are going to be taken in places no one expects. Yeah, that's why we always look at mock drafts. And I say, for entertainment purposes only. And I do think that you're going to have some surprises here. I think there are going to be a couple of players fall that you never thought would fall. And there'll be a couple of players where you go, wow, I didn't know that that team thought that highly of him. All right, phone calls coming up. And we'll uh, get to those. And what else do we have here? Meet Friday, vote on the March Madness. We have French dip on the Traeger Grill coming up. I brought in Tyler, the moderator, from uh, Chat Row. He's going to be overseeing the French dip here. <laughs> yeah, it's good building a fire out there. Oh, he's out there now. Tyler, the moderator, is out there. Look at him. He's known for working one day a week yes. and uh, swatting people on chat row. Yes, that's what he does. And he gets rid of uh, bots as well. <laughs> he says, I said, well, what's your job? He goes, um, well, kind of get rid of bots. And I go, oh, okay. He goes, it's fun, though. I really like getting rid of bots. I will take a break. Talk to the director of the Chicago Bulls, not the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. Jason Heron will join us coming up next. 20 after the hour here on the Dan Patrick Show. Discover. That sounded a little Oprah-esque. Sorry about that. Discover, the Discover credit card, and all the other great things that Discover will give for you, to you, and uh, they'll help you check your uh, FICO credit score. And you want to know this because 90% of top lenders that's what they base their lending off of. What's your FICO credit score? And you get it for free even if you're not a customer. Checking your score won't hurt your credit. You can check each month for changes. Discover credit scorecard. Free for everyone. Learn more. Discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Saw where the uh, rankings are out for jersey sales. Tom Brady, not number one. When was this done, by the way? Because I've got Patrick Mahomes as uh, number one on the list here. Todd, you just sent me this. Lamar Jackson is third. Ezekiel Elliott is fourth. Baker Mayfield Jr., the third is fifth. Yeah, there's a lot of different elements involved with that. But when they when they factor in all kinds of different sales, they, they have uh, they've got him now number one, and it's a piece in a Variety magazine that's got him. Yeah, but over you got Brady. Brady with the Patriots. He's with the Buccaneers, and I w- I would assume he'd have the number one jersey since he's with the new team here. I'm sure in the coming days and weeks, those numbers are gonna. Well, what's flip. this based on? Is this based off of this past season? I guess over the, it's over the past. I'm not sure of the exact period of time, but from what do you have any answers for me on this, Todd? I don't. I caught okay. an article. Answer the question, Todd. <laughs> Todd, you sent it to me, but I don't even know what it means. You sent the link, Todd. Answer the yes, question. Yes, McLovin. I did send the link. Everyone's buying Tampa Bay shirts, so they don't need his regular jersey. Okay. It says Patrick Mahomes sacks Tom Brady as NFL's top salesman exclusive. But that, I think, is based off the Patriots, not the Buccaneers. Jason Hare, he is the director of ESPN's The Last Dance, a six-time Emmy award-winning director and producer of this 10-part documentary series, The Last Dance. Boy, this kind of snuck up on me. I didn't know that there was going to be a documentary on the Chicago Bulls, Jason. How'd you keep it a secret? 
you know, we've been speaking in code for the last few years, and, and just this week, uh, people seem to have gotten the message. Okay, when did this concept take place? In the offseason, after the Bulls won their fifth title in seven years in the summer of 1997, a guy named Andy Thompson, who has been a producer with NBA Entertainment for decades, and he's a great guy. He's Clay Thompson's uncle, Michael Thompson's brother. He uh, knew Michael and the Bulls, and he saw the writing on the wall. Jerry Krause said, to Phil Jackson, you can go 82-0 and and you're not coming back to coach this team next year. And Michael Jordan had been very publicly adamant that he wasn't going to play for anybody but Phil Jackson. So the writing was on the wall that this was going to be the last season, that, that this core was going to be together. So Andy Thompson went to his then boss, Adam Silver, who was the president of NBA Entertainment at the time, um, and said, we should follow this team around. We should embed a crew just because this is going to be historic and we need this footage for posterity. They both thought that was a great idea, and they went to Michael and Phil, but they said uh, yes, and the footage has not seen the light of day for 22 years, but you'll see it on Sunday night. That's great. Am I in the documentary? Uh, your voice is. Yes, your voice and your face are. Um, at, at various times uh, telling the story of Michael. You know, there's, there's ample uh, uh, footage that we were allowed from ESPN and from the NBA. Everybody kind of opened their vault here. So you have a presence in All there. All right, good. Absolutely. Uh, residuals, I'm uh, guessing. That, that Who do I talk to about that? Uh, you certainly don't talk to the people who are paying me because I'm going <laughs> to that as well. But, um. Well, then I'm not getting any if ESPN's not paying you. All right, your first meeting with Jordan. Describe it. I got a call at 6.30 on a Wednesday night from Esty Portnoy, who is his longtime manager, and I had been working with Esty and Curtis Polk, who was his business partner, for the better part of a year, preparing for um, you know, just the creative elements and the storytelling structure that, that this series was going to entail. And I hadn't met Michael yet. I'd never been in the same room as Michael Jordan at that point. Um, despite 20 years in the business, I just never crossed paths with him. He was from a different generation uh, than, than the one that I worked in. So she said, uh, Michael would like to have a drink. Um, and they were at a hotel in, in midtown Manhattan. I was uh, a lot more than a half hour away, but <laughs> managed to move heaven and earth to get up there in time to, to sit down with him and meet him for the first time. How uh, cooperative was he? To wanting to do this he was well one of the first questions i asked him is 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 uh why now why do you want to do this and he said i don't and i said why not and he said because when you see some of this footage uh it's so raw that i don't know that people will be be able to understand uh without context why i was acting the way i acted why i had to be that intense in practice why i had to make every practice more difficult than any game that the bulls could possibly experience against the indianas and the miamis and the new yorks of the eastern conference back in those days i think when people see just a clip of me getting on a teammate or riding scotty burrell or yelling at ron harper or steve kerr they're not going to understand that and um I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant about that so i said you know we have the benefit of 10 hours to tell this story and we have the benefit of time and resources and context and we'll be able to sit down and you can explain to me exactly what you just explained to me and give that context to explain to people why you had to do this and we'll also interview the teammates that were on the other end of that behavior and get their perspective on it so i think uh once he was comfortable that that we were going to tell an honest responsible comprehensive story mm. and that's you know good bad and the ugly all warts and all uh, he was all in, and he was adamant from that first day and, and you know, to, to two nights ago when he's still watching Rough Cuts. We're not done with this series yet, but everybody's in quarantine, so 
even Michael Jordan is watching rough cuts of the Bulls Michael Jordan documentary, and he was adamant up until two nights ago that we include certain things that I thought, well, he might not want this in there, he might not want this in there. He wants this to be as honest and truthful a telling of this story as possible. So it's been a gift that he's been this cooperative. So you have eight parts done and two that are still being done. We're first and goal from the one-inch line on episode six and seven. We're in the red zone uh, on episode eight and nine, and, and we're moving the ball down the field. We're over midfield on 10, but, but we'll get there in time for May 17th. I give you credit, though, Jace, because I can't imagine, if I'm Jordan, why I would want to do this. So I'm not surprised that that was initial reaction. But then you tap into the competitor who now wants it to be the greatest documentary of all time, I'm going to guess. Yeah, I think that with him, if it's if it's uh, if it's the team that he plays on in the NBA being the best, if it's the documentary he participates in being the best, if it's the breakfast cereal that he's choosing <laughs> to eat before he goes out golfing, he wants that to be the best. Everything from the time that before this guy picked up a basketball that was instilled in him by his parents James and Dolores. You do your best at all times. What did he want to talk? What did he love talking about? He, liked, he lit up when he talked about his family, when he talked about his mom. In the first episode, um, we, we use this technique where I, he doesn't know me, so it's better I, for, for him to see these people saying these things about him, and that goes from Gary Payton and Isaiah Thomas to, to his mom. So I had his mom read a letter. She's kept all of his letters home from when he was in college at UNC, and, and this is a homesick Michael Jordan writing a letter home to his mom to say he doesn't have $20 to his name and he needs money for stamps. And she read that out loud, and I showed mm. him an iPad of her reading the letter out loud, and, and he got emotional. This is a human being. You know, we, we see this guy as a two-dimensional figure on our wall. He's a logo on a shoe. That's not human. But when you show him his mom reading a letter home and you remind him of what he came from and that it wasn't always this way, he wasn't always sitting in a mansion um, telling stories about his life that are going to be that are going to be absorbed all over the world he used to just be mike jordan from wilmington north carolina so reminding him of that i think that that's a comfortable place for him to go back to yeah and you do such a great job getting reactions that's what i love about your documentaries and 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 so you're rolling constantly you want to get jordan's reaction no matter what he's doing i get that reaction you got that reaction when he talked about isaiah thomas and it still bothers him how many years later who who's going to be upset with the way they're portrayed in this if they're upset they're going to be upset because they were portrayed honestly i'll I'll say that um but i i think that i don't think anyone was treated unfairly put it that way uh i i i put my name on the line here uh to tell an honest raw with that said who is it isaiah (laughs) 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 you got me (laughs) you're good at this too uh, we, we asked for Isaiah today because I, I know that that is so deep-rooted with Mike and the Pistons and how they treated him. Then Lambeer comes out on the mothership a couple of days ago and says, LeBron's the greatest player of all time. This ain't going. They're taking this to their, their graves, how they feel about one yeah. another. They really are. Yeah, I think that there's a mutual respect there, and they'll acknowledge one another, but it, it's deep, man. This is, this is not the banana boat NBA of the 2000s. This is, this is rough and tumble 80s, 90s NBA. How much pressure do you feel? None. Um, I felt pressure at the outset to get this thing done, but, but we're almost at the finish line. And at this point, um, I just feel pride. I feel pride in the job that my team has done under these circumstances, especially to get this thing out. And we all feel pride 
that we can give people a little bit of an escape, a little bit of a diversion. And with some surreal times here, there's, there's, there's nothing to watch, there's nothing to talk about. That connection that sports brings us, it's not there. So I think all of us feel an enormous sense of pride that we can do something. We can't donate blood. We can't go give someone a hug. We can't go deliver someone food. You can't touch each other. You can't be around each other. But this is what we can do to connect with people. So we're all really proud of that. Congrats, Jason, and uh, well done with the Bears documentary and, of course, the Fab Five as well. We appreciate your time, and uh, we'll be watching Sunday night on the Mothership at 9 Eastern. Thank you, Jace. Thanks a lot, guys. That's uh, Jason Hare. He's the director of ESPN's Last Dance documentary. We did ask for Isaiah, and we were told that he, uh, unfortunately, is not available. (laughs) Who's not available during the pandemic, right? Does his phone work? Fritzy, is he available over the weekend? Can I come in and tape something with Isaiah? We're all sitting on our couch watching Netflix. I don't know what the problem is. Oh, Jordan, I would never, ever, 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 ever forgive the bad boys. Never, 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 never. That is so deep-rooted. If you said said to Mike, hey, you want to go out and play uh, Isaiah one-on-one? Hey, you want to play against Lame Beer? He'd probably do it. And then Bill Beer came out. And look, it, Bill's opinion, and he says he thinks LeBron's the greatest player of all time. Okay, that's fine. I, I don't it, – it feels like if he thought Mike was the be- best player of all time, he'd say it begrudgingly. But even that, he's not even saying it begrudgingly. But that 10-part uh, series, I really have to uh, figure that they had to convince Michael Jordan to do this because everybody else was willing to do it. The fact – that they had footage knowing that this was going to be the last dance. That's the brilliance here. Because that's when there's, there was somebody rolling on Jordan every single time I was around him. When he came into the arena, when he drove up to Chicago Stadium, when I was in Utah that night of the, the flu game, when he came in, he probably had 30 reporters and camera people following him in. And where we were at our sports center set, I looked out because he walked by and Mike looked gray. Truly looked gray. He was that sick. And I just remember we you know, we're doing our pregame for Sports Center. We don't know if Mike's playing. And so we're going, okay, when are we gonna know? And then you get word he's gonna try to play. And then all of a sudden he started to play and you went, no, he's still Michael Jordan and still dominating. Yes, Todd. If you don't get MJ for this, would it still have been worth telling the story? And would it be 10 parts long if MJ was not involved in this documentary? No, it's not going to happen. Because if I'm ESPN and I'm doing a documentary on the last dance with the Chicago Bulls and like you don't do Romeo and Juliet without Romeo or without Juliet. I got to have Phil and I got to have Mike. Got to have that. But I, I, I have to do it when Michael's ready, because if Michael doesn't do this, you're watching the documentary going, man, I'd love to know what Michael would have thought of this. I want to know what Michael's reaction would be, because we have people on all the time who talk about Michael Jordan. There's nothing new with that. What's new will be what's old. And the fact you get to see Michael in who he was and then maybe try to explain it. I don't know why he's worried about his image now. Because back then, I don't think he was worried about his image. But now it feels like, eh, I don't know how I'm going to be portrayed here. <laughs> he, he, he didn't care how he was portrayed when he was a teammate. 
He wanted to kill you. He wanted to embarrass you. He wanted to dominate you. He was never, ever satisfied. Never. But I can imagine, I would tap into, and I've done this before with different people I've interviewed. When you're extremely competitive, I, I want you to be competitive to be great in the interview. And certain guys understand that and want to be great in an interview. And if I have this documentary, I want Michael to understand you're going to make this great. This will be the greatest sports documentary of all time. At least that's what I'm telling him. How do we make this great, Mike? Hey, we got to talk gambling. We got to talk this. We got to talk that. The Steve Kerr punch. We got to talk about you were you know brutal to your teammates. You roughed them up. You made fun of them. But you will make it great. And that's probably what they tapped into because Michael was not going to do this. I can't imagine that Mike would go, yeah, go ahead, uh, you know, let this happen. I'm not going to be part of this. Now, he may have said that, but I think then he probably thought, all right, can I have control over this? Because I'm going to guess Michael had full control over who they interviewed. How many people you interview? I'm going to guess Michael said, I'll do it. I decide. Because Michael doesn't give up that creative control. Doesn't do it in business. He didn't do it in basketball. And I can't imagine he would do that in this documentary. We'll take a break. Back after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. I uh, saw where Trent Dilfer had some more compliments about uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Now, it should be mentioned that Trent Dilfer has been working out Tua to get ready for the draft. And Trent, of course, a uh, very good analyst uh, with the mothership and a former NFL quarterback. So I guess he's on Tua's payroll. I, I don't know if he's doing this for free, but he has been very effusive in his verbal bouquets where he said that Tua throws better than Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino. And then walked that back a little bit and said, no, I'm talking about when they were coming out of college. Okay, I don't know how much Trent Dilfer knew about Dan Marino coming out of college and how he was throwing, but by the second year, he'd thrown 48 touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers came out, and I think the Packers worked on his form, and he sat three years uh, behind Brett Favre. So, okay, I, I guess I can buy into that. Tua it throws a remarkable ball, and he's extremely accurate. That's legit. All of that is legit. But Trent Dilfer has pretty much been carrying the flag of Tua is ready to go, he's healthy, and you're going to make a mistake if you pass on him. He's putting through a variety of drills. And Trent Dilfer says, quote, he's completely healthy. That's from the doctors. What I can talk to is his endurance, his stamina, his strength, his explosion. I call it twitch. It's better than he was before he got hurt. I don't want to speak in hyperbole as he gets ready to speak in hyperbole. He's the finest prospect I've ever seen. He throws the football as well as I've ever seen a football thrown. But you don't want to speak in hyperbole. So that's the greatest, I guess, quarterback prospect he's ever seen. I don't think anybody's concerned about his abilities here, Trent. And we called for Trent Dilfer. You know, from what I hear, this is just about the scouts saying, we don't know how healthy he is. The doctors say this. Are those Tua's doctors or those independent doctors? 
if I'm Jacks, if I'm uh, the Dolphins and and I'm the Chargers, I need to see him. If I'm going to spend a, the fifth overall or sixth overall, or I'm going to move up, I got to have an objective opinion here. And if Trent is working him out, well, he's not going to come out and say, "Oh my God, this guy, that hip's going to fall apart." He's going to be Bo Jackson. He won't be able to play football again. I, what, what are you expecting to say? And I got a little nervous when he said, you know, he throws the ball better than Dan Marino and Aaron Rodgers. Well, he doesn't. Now, coming out of college, okay, I, I guess. I mean, I, I don't remember breaking down Aaron Rodgers' form. I remember Dan Marino being pretty good when he came out. But Tua is a, is a wonderful talent. And, and if you said he's healthy, I'd love for him to be the face of the franchise. But if you're on the payroll or you're working him out, of course you're going to say nice things. And, and you're starting to, you know, that he's going to slip. That's really what is happening now. So what you want to do is you, you got to have somebody who gives you the other side. You know, these scouts are all talking about, you know, Tua. Is Tua going to slip? Uh, you know, my source said he could go 3 or 23. Nick Saban's role in this is really, really important because there are people in the league who trust Nick Saban's word. And that's maybe what it's going to come down to because Nick Saban has been saying things about Tua and, but I don't know if he can be completely honest here. I, 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 I would have doubts about it. I hope Tua has a 15 year career. I hope that he is a, Pro Bowl quarterback. I hope that he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, Trent Dilfer says he's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, I you can say that, but I'm trying to see, you know, what are you, is somebody moving up to three? Is there going to be a surprise here? Is he going to fall? I think the Dolphins are genuinely interested in Justin Herbert because as I'm told, Tua has a higher ceiling in a lower basement. So if it goes well, it goes great. If it doesn't, it could be disastrous. Justin Herbert is the safe pick. Dan Orlovsky said you got to take chances. And I, I, I thought Orlovsky was wonderful. When he was on yesterday, you know, he was talking about how the Chiefs dumped Alex Smith for Patrick Mahomes. And scouts were split on Patrick Mahomes. In fact, more probably thought that he's a project. You take chances. Who's going to take the chance on Tua? They had just had a Pro Bowl season from Alex Smith, and they took Patrick Mahomes. That's gutsy. Final hour coming up. Golf is headed back early June. We'll talk to the commissioner of the PGA Tour. Right after this.